Welcome to Straight Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, what did Augustine and C.S. Lewis have in common? Well, quite a bit, as it turns out, Ken will explore 12 life parallels between the two thinkers on this podcast and the next one. And Ken, maybe you can give us a little bit of background as to uh, where you've been recently and how this came up. Yes. Uh, well, this is a topic we touched on uh, sometime in the past. And the idea of comparing the lives of C.S. Lewis and St. Augustine, uh, I first came across that by uh, looking at an article that was with the Emerging Scholars Network. This is one of InterVarsity's um, involvement in terms of young and uh, growing Christian thinkers. Well, uh, one of the authors there um, had kind of noted in outline form uh, some of the similarities between the life of St. Augustine, who lived in the ancient world, C.S. Lewis, who lived in the modern world, uh, Michael Hickerson, he's the former associate director of the Emerging Scholars Network. Well, I was struck by that, and I kind of took that outline, and I kind of fleshed it out and added a number of other uh, similarities. And of course, Joe, you edited the article, and then it went up on the Reflections and RTB site, and uh, a person from uh, a very uh, popular C.S. Lewis podcast. It's called Pints with Jack. And uh, one of the hosts contacted me and said, hey, I loved your article. Would you like to come on the program and talk about it? And I said, absolutely. That would be, that would be great. And uh, I did it uh, a week or so uh, ago. Um, and I also uh, have submitted this article to the Worldview Bulletin, which is a fairly new online journal, uh, and they they like it, and they're gonna they're gonna publish it. So um, I think that this is a really interesting topic, and of course, uh, I became interested in this. Hugh, um, uh, Joe, and Dave, I I grew up Catholic. Uh, I was not a a devout Catholic in my early life, but in my teenage years, I began to take my faith more seriously. In fact, I even thought about seriously about being a Catholic priest, um, but I met a young woman who uh, I decided I would rather spend my life with her. That's my, my wonderful wife, Joan. But I remember a priest, and I, I think that he was uh, a charismatic priest, because I was part of a charismatic Catholic community in the late 1970s, and he said, uh, I remember him saying, uh, find, a, find a, a saint in history that you really relate to and um, follow him through your life. And I, I was uh, puzzled by that. At that time, I, I hadn't studied a lot of the great Christian thinkers through the centuries, but um, I later became Protestant, but almost immediately I, I developed an attach, attachment to St. Augustine. And I, I think that's the case because I find in Augustine things that I deeply care about. Uh, when I read the Confessions, I really think, wow, is he talking about me? Uh, and, I, and I think he was. I think Augustine 
was not just telling his story, he was telling our story. And that is, without God, we're lost. And um, without the Lord, we can't find fulfillment and ultimate satisfaction. So um, C.S. Lewis, of course, was the first Christian author that I ever met. So uh, I thought we'd spend a little time today and in our next program talking about these two interesting people and the amazing parallels they have. Yeah. You know, one thing I found interesting, as you mentioned, I edited your article, but in reading it, uh, I found the, the parallels striking, but maybe more so in the respect that they came from two very different worlds, so so far apart, you know, and yet there, there are the parallels right there. So I found that very interesting. Yeah, I did too. I mean, you know, I think there is a sense, and I'm and I'm sure that probably Saint Augustine felt like a bit of an outsider. He was from North Africa, and of course he uh, lived and taught and worked uh, within the Roman Empire, which would have included, uh, you know, North Africa. Carthage would be one of the big cities, but I think Augustine probably did feel like somewhat of an outsider coming from North Africa, and then of course I know Lewis felt the same way because. Uh, he wasn't crazy about Britain. Uh, he was educated there and spent his entire life teaching there, but he was an Irishman and uh, had deep affection for Ireland. And yet their lives are very similar. And of course, that's a point I think that would be important for us today in our culture to realize that, you know, the differences uh, in skin color, uh, the differences in nation of origin, uh, you know, even the differences in ethnicity, or even our even our sexual differences between men and women, we are human beings, and we all bear the image of God. And um, I think if we look closely at our life, uh, we begin to see some of the things that both Augustine and Lewis talked about, that we're made for God, and will never really be fulfilled without him. Very good. All right, well, let's get into it. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the background. I'm sure lots of our listeners know a lot about both of these individuals. But uh, Augustine, of course, he his name is uh, Aurelius Augustinus. He's named after two Roman Caesars, Marcus Aurelius and Caesar Augustus. One of the reasons I call him Augustine is he's named after Augustus. Caesar. There are people who differ with that, and every once in a while I hear people call him Augustine. I'm more interested in in his life and his theology than I am in the exact pronunciation of his name, but his dates are 354 to 430. So Augustine lives in late antiquity. He's in the ancient world, and right after his death, uh, what happens is we move into the Middle Ages. So he lives in the latter part of the ancient world or late antiquity. C.S. Lewis, of course, lives in the modern world. Um, Lewis was born in 1898 in Belfast, Ireland, died 1963, November 22nd. Of course, Peter Kreeft has made this uh, a really kind of engaging story that uh, Lewis died uh, the day Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas and they probably died the same hour now, what's interesting is uh, Alistair McGrath says that 
at the end of Lewis's life, he was probably more popular in America than he was in, in Britain. Um, I think because lots of Americans begun reading, they began reading Lewis and they liked the screw tape letters. That guy believes in the devil. So he's a supernaturalist. And of course, at that time in America and in Europe, uh, liberal theology was uh, very influential. So they liked Lewis. Uh, but because he died the same day as President Kennedy, people in America probably didn't know that for a couple weeks because of the all of the press of the death of President Kennedy. And uh, I remember that day, I was just a small boy, uh, but I, I remember the events surrounding Kennedy's death. And uh, lo and behold, before I ever knew it, um, two people that had played a very significant role in my life, um, uh, at least in terms of my thinking about ideas, were both Kennedy and C.S. Lewis. So uh, there is a book written by the masterful Catholic philosopher Peter Kraft uh, entitled Between Heaven and Hell, where he has Lewis, Kennedy, and Aldous Huxley. And of course, the way he pitches it is Lewis is the Christian theist, John Kennedy is more the humanist, and Huxley is more the Eastern mystical individual, and they meet after death, but before uh, the doors open and they move forward. And it's uh, it's funny, it's engaging, uh, but Huxley Lewis, also died on that day. Huxley also died on that very same day. So the, these are the two individuals. Of course, uh, you could say that Augustine was a Catholic. Um, I would only qualify that by saying probably uh, in the fifth century, Roman Catholicism was not then what it is uh, in the Middle Ages or much later. Uh, and I would point out that um, I think it's fair to say that Augustine probably has influenced Protestants nearly as much as he has Roman Catholics. I think he's the bridge between Catholics and Protestants, not terribly popular in the East. The Orthodox are not uh, taken with Augustine, even though they grant him sainthood, they tend to think he's too pessimistic about human nature, and they're not terribly fond of his predestination views. Um, that's, that's viewed kind of negatively in, in Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, well, Lewis, of course, um, uh, he was a Protestant. Uh, he lived a good bit of his adult life as an atheist, but he became a Christian and he became an Anglican. I always found it interesting that his very close friend, uh, Tolkien, Tolkien not only wanted Lewis to be a Christian, he wanted him to be a Catholic Christian. Uh, Tolkien had, had, uh, lost his father at a very early age. His mother passed away when he was a teenager, and a Roman Catholic priest really interceded and took care of Lewis, got him into an orphanage, by the way, where he met his wife. I find that to be very powerful, that Tolkien, one of the great writers of the modern world, was an orphan, uh, met his wife, uh, Edith, who was also an orphan, and they started a, a, a large family. And, um, uh, but Tolkien was a little bit resentful that Lewis had become an Anglican. And um, 
So those are those. That's a little bit about these uh, individuals. And again, you can you can go on reasons.org or you can look at uh, reflections by Ken, my blog, uh, and you can find this article. But Joe, I thought we could uh, tackle at least maybe six of these and then save another six for the next program. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Well. Um, let me talk about the first one, and I, I find it intriguing. I say that both of them are born in declining empires. Um, of course, I'm referencing the Roman Empire for St. Augustine and the British Empire for C.S. Lewis. Um, Augustine is uh, born in North Africa. Um, he is probably not, his ethnicity is probably not African. Um, I think most scholars view Augustine as being Berber, which would have made him a Caucasian Arab. Uh, but he's born in uh, North Africa. And of course, there was another great North African theologian that came before him named Tertullian. Um, and, and of course, Tertullius and Augustine, they're Latin fathers. Uh, Augustine didn't know a lot of Greek. Uh, he probably didn't know much Hebrew at all but he was a master at the Latin language. And I put up a little, uh, one of his uh, reflections on heaven on my Facebook page last night. And I was just struck how well it was written, how, uh, how, the, how his ability to, to use language was just remarkable. And of course, that's another thing that they have in common. Lewis was uh, such a great writer. St. Augustine was a great writer. But Augustine is born in a little city called Tagaste. Uh, today it's Souk Aras in Algeria. Interestingly enough, my father, when he was first shipped overseas to fight in the Second World War, he went to North Africa and was in Algeria. Um, no doubt very close to where uh, St. Augustine was born. And um, uh, I think what I would like to convey here is that, you know, Lewis is kind of an outsider, but he becomes uh, a person who influences uh, that Roman Empire. He is born and living near the end of the Roman Empire. In fact, um, he dies in 436. It's 410 when the German tribes sack Rome. And when Augustine died, and I, I think it was really interesting, uh, his death, he had some of his servants. By that time, he had become a priest. He had become a bishop. By the end of his life, Augustine was probably one of the most important Christian thinkers um, alive at the time. And when he was dying, he, he lived to be 76, which is pretty old for the ancient world, no doubt about that. But he had his servants write the penitential psalms on the ceiling above his bed so that he could die reading and praying the psalms. I find that remarkably endearing. Um, he was a deeply dedicated uh, individual. Um, and of course, Augustine's life, he really wants to be, he, he is a rhetorician. He's not a trained philosopher. He is a rhetorician. He really wants to make his name as a, as a great orator. In fact, his goal is to become a spokesperson for, for uh, the emperor. That's really what he wants. Uh, 
and that's what he's driving for. He wants to have success. He wants, he wants everybody to know that uh, who he is and to speak for the Caesar is, uh, well, that's at the top of the line. Um, looking at C.S. Lewis, of course, Lewis was born in Ireland. He's born in Belfast, Ireland. I think one of the reasons why Lewis later talks about mere Christianity, not just the book, but the idea, I think one of the reasons why Lewis became very interested in unity uh, among the different branches of Christendom, among the different denominations, is I think he was born in Protestant Ireland, which uh, probably uh, didn't put him in the best uh, state as an Irishman. He's not listed as one of the great Irish authors, and, and McGrath has suggested, Alistair McGrath, who wrote a, a biography on C.S. Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis, A Life in 2013, um, McGrath said about Lewis is that he was in the wrong, uh, he was in the wrong part of Christendom. Uh, Ireland is deeply Catholic, even though there has always been a Protestant segment, but uh, Lewis, of course, is born at a time when the great British Empire is starting to fade. And uh, some people have suggested uh, that in winning World War II, the Brits may have lost as much in winning as the Germans uh, lost in losing. Uh, we saw the British Empire start to fade. And of course, America became uh, the great superpower. So both of them are born in declining empires. And of course, in, in, in Augustine's case, uh, part of the reason he wrote The City of God is that people began to think in the city of Rome, you know, our empire was thriving while we were pagan. But now that we've become Christian, everything's falling apart. Maybe the pagan gods are taking wrath upon us. Well, one of the apologetic purposes of Augustine's book, The City of God, is to say, no, no, no. Uh, Rome's falling apart because it's built on tyranny. It's built on oppression. It's, it's built on stepping on the necks of other people and taking their goods. That's why Rome is suffering uh, as a civilization. It's, it's not its new Christian faith. It's its old uh, commitment to tyranny. Now, uh, I would say something similar about the British. Um, I remember going to the British Museum, and, you know, you have uh, Rosetta Stone, you have lots of artifacts from civilization. Well, people have made accusations about the British that they were more interested in power and they stepped on the neck of people. Of course, I think if you look at both of those empires, and I have no wish to defend especially the offenses of those empires, I think you also have to realize, though, they contributed a lot to civilization. I mean, even our idea of a republic, uh, a, 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 a representative form of democracy, a, a constitutional republic, that's influenced by Roman thinking. And certainly America has been deeply influenced by, by the British. All of our forefathers came from that country. But that's the first parallel. They both came from uh, empires and they both came as outsiders to empires that were, uh, that were declining. 
That's mm. so that's number one. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay, well, number two, let me talk about their families. Um, I, I think immediately of uh, Paul Witts, a Catholic author who wrote the book, The Faith of Our Fathers, uh, the, the Faith of the Fatherless. Fatherless, the yeah. title of the book. Um, and of course, Witts in there writes about how our relationship, how our family relationships tend to influence our faith, and in particular, our relationship with our dads, with our fathers. Well, I find it interesting that uh, both Augustine and Lewis had very influential mothers. Um, they were the, the, the rock of their lives. Uh, and I, I think it's clear to say that Augustine and Lewis, they, uh, they're mama's boys. No doubt about it. They, their mother played a very significant role. The spirituality of the young Lewis and the young Augustine came from their parents. Monica would probably today, that's St. Monica, by the way, Santa Monica, part of LA, that's named after St. Augustine's mother. Uh, but I think that Monica today would probably be viewed as a helicopter mother. Uh, she loved her boy and uh, she wanted him to succeed, but she didn't want him to walk away from the Catholic faith, that uh, she had uh, uh, helped nurture St. Augustine. Um, and of course, uh, Flora was C.S. Lewis's mother, and she was a very spiritual woman. Her father was a minister. Uh, she, she married Albert, and Albert was a Christian. But Flora was, uh, she was a, a quite accomplished woman. She was a mathematician. Uh, her son, Jack, or C.S. Lewis, he didn't get that gene, Dave. Uh, <laughs> Lewis struggled with math, which I always feel encouraged by that, that you can be a brilliant guy and not necessarily be good at math. But because uh, we got at RTB, we got all these math whizzes that I, I work with. Well, um, while both Augustine and C.S. Lewis were very close to their mothers, uh, they were distant from their fathers. Uh, Patricius, who is Augustine's dad, he was a pagan for virtually his entire life and was only baptized as a Catholic uh, in, on his deathbed. Now, that wasn't all that unlikely then. That is, that was practiced where somebody would be baptized near the end of their life. I think the idea was that baptismal grace would, you know, take effect and they wouldn't go out and commit immortal sins and lose their salvation. But C.S. Lewis was also baptized into the Church of Ireland, uh, a Protestant, and his mother taught him the faith. Uh, but Lewis was distant from uh, Albert. Uh, in fact, Lewis would later say that there were kind of three things that kind of pushed him away from his faith. One was the death of his mother. Um, Jack or C.S. Lewis said that after his mother died, he, he never felt like he could get his feet on the ground, that his whole life had been turned upside down. And then his dad, Albert, uh, sent the boys. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, had a brother, Warney, who was about four years older. They were always very close uh, throughout their life. Uh, but Albert shipped uh, C.S. Lewis and Warney off to a boarding school in England. And uh, C.S. Lewis really thought that was just, he just had forsaken his, his father had forsaken him. 
And then later he's tutored under uh, a man who uh, is an ardent atheist. Um, and Lewis would later describe that that was kind of the, the losing of the faith. I think with St. Augustine, you know, you, you have that too, but I don't want to go too far ahead. Um, what I do want to say is I think Lewis and Augustine both came from dysfunctional families. That doesn't mean they weren't caring families. You know, we use that term dysfunctional. Um, I think my family was a caring family, but there was dysfunction in my family. And there was clearly dysfunction among uh, Augustine and Lewis. And it, it, this is one of those interesting parallels that both of them were very close to their mothers and distant uh, almost their entire life from their fathers. So that would, that would be a, a second element uh, that I think that they share uh, uniquely uh, in common. Comments, questions before we move to number three? All very interesting, yeah. Especially the fact that these are people who come from backgrounds that many people can relate to, at least when you talk about the family, yeah. To me, it's... Uh... A blessing to hear and in, in the sense of praying mothers, parents, grandparents for children who are wayward and how they can eventually come back and how God takes some of the most dysfunctional people and makes them great saints. I think that that's a, that's a wonderful sentiment. Um, uh, we have an editor who works here at Reasons to Believe. Uh, her name is Maureen. She's uh, edited many of my articles, and um, she knows about my uh, appreciation uh, for St. Augustine. And she gave a talk at her church to, uh, to women who had children who've walked away from the faith. And she used Monica as a reason for keep praying and you know, uh, kids may come back. And I believe that. I know there have been, uh, you know, reports of how many young people are leaving the Christian faith. But uh, I believe that many of them may or will come back. Uh, I think when God gets his hold of you, uh, he may let you uh, walk away, but he may not allow you to stay uh, in that case. Well, this leads, of course, to number three, uh, that both of them renounced the faith in their youth. Uh, St. Augustine, he was, uh, he was very bright, probably too bright for his own good, and uh, he had a group of friends there in Tagaste, and of course, one of the great stories, uh, many wonderful stories that come out of the Confessions, but one of the stories is that Augustine and his, his pals in the neighborhood, they, uh, they steal a bunch of pears from a man who has a, uh, you know, a pear farm there. I don't know exactly if you'd call it a farm or not, but they steal all these pears. And uh, they don't do it because they're hungry. Uh, they do it because they enjoyed uh, doing something illegal. Um, if I can confess my, my own sins. I remember as a small boy, I, I stole something from a, a white front store. I don't think they exist anymore. 
but I, I remember you put them you you put them into bankruptcy. I, I probably bankrupted them by <laughs> taking property, but I I remember how exhilarating, how scary, but exhilarating it was to walk outside the store. Of course, it wasn't very exhilarating when my mother found out, and then it was even worse when it was reported to my father that I had uh, done this theft. But I I remember it was kind of fun being. Uh, Hey, I can I can do this. Well, I think that kind of comes out uh, clearly in the confession that Augustine thinks that, you know, part of original sin is that we are not born good. We're not even born neutral. We are born kind of curved back on ourselves. And um, Augustine uh, really walks away from the faith. He's super smart. So his parents, they want to get him to have a, a good career uh, that will also benefit them in that he could care for them as they grow older. But he goes to the city of Carthage and um, among other things, he joins a cult. He joins Manichaeanism. This is a dualistic religious system, combination of Christian, Gnostic and pagan elements. And in fact, He's part of that group for nine years. So somebody as bright and as thoughtful and reflective as St. Augustine, he was caught into false religion. Now, he didn't become, there were kind of two groups within the Manichaeans. If you were a very committed follower, uh, that took more involvement. He was, he was kind of dabbled in it, I think, but he was fascinated by it. And by the way, part of the fascination was he was trying to figure out why there's both good and evil in the world. And he thought the Catholic faith, the Christian faith, didn't really have a good answer for that. But the Manichaeans, they believed that, uh, you know, the spirit was good and matter was evil. And so he thought, well, it has certain explanatory power. But he was part of the Gnostic uh, group, the Manichees. Later, by the way, wrote a refutation of the Manichees. Uh, I will tell you, some there are some people, some Christians and some scholars, who think Augustine never shed his Manichaean ideas, mm. uh, and some think that he was far too platonic. Um, I don't agree with that. I think uh, Augustine became very biblical and was uh, very Christian-oriented, even though he uh, certainly accommodated certain platonic ideas. But uh, with Lewis, of course, uh, he was hurt by the death of his mom. And Kirkpatrick, this uh, former Presbyterian minister become ardent atheist, became one of his tutors. And um, Lewis gives a lot of credit to Kirkpatrick, that teaching him dialectic, teaching him argumentation. Uh, Lewis said that when he first went to, to live at Kirkpatrick's home in order to be uh, tutored, and, and by the way, Kirkpatrick tutored Warney, Lewis's brother, and Lewis's father. Uh, all three of them were tutored by Kirkpatrick, so he was a he was a rhetorician. He was very, very sharp uh, and had lost his faith. Well, uh, Lewis, of course, became increasingly secular. Uh, by World War I, he thought, he, I think it's always comical, Lewis would say, I was angry at God for not existing. Uh, 
Mm. Um, and he thought, you know, why is this war happening? Well, he became very skeptical, adopted a philosophical skepticism. And by the way, in the life of Augustine, I mean, he adopted Manichaeanism at first, but later he began uh, experimenting more with philosophical thinking in the Platonic tradition, what we would call Neoplatonism. But uh, Augustine even began to doubt that. He thought, you know, can we ever really know anything for sure? And so both of them lost their faith. Both of them moved in the direction of uh, secular philosophies of life, skepticism. And both of them began to entertain a life of worldliness uh, in that kind of context. So renouncing the faith in their, their youth is a third parallel. Doesn't sound like they have much of a bright uh, future in uh, Christendom at this point. <laughs> yeah, I I would say at that point, uh, probably books like Confessions and Mere Christianity are not on the radar map uh, <laughs> no. by any stretch of the imagination. Well, number four kind of takes them even further. Both of these men lived with women outside of marriage for a pretty significant period of their life. Uh, let me start with Augustine. Augustine, of course, goes to Carthage. Carthage is the big city. Tagaste is a little hometown in North Africa. Carthage is right on the coast. If you think back to your history, the Carthaginians had sea powers with the Romans. So this was a very proud civilization, proud city. Well, Augustine gets to Carthage and that's that's the big city. I mean, that's New York City. That's Washington, D.C. That's Los Angeles. And there is a lot of worldliness, and the sexual mores are very liberal. Um, it was a patriarchal society. Uh, it was a society in which, in large measure, uh, women, uh, men looked at women as sexual uh, toys, uh, there to merely entertain men. And uh, so Augustine, he took, a, he took a liking to it. Now he met a young woman and we never learn her name. Uh, Augustine never gives the name of his, uh, at the t maybe now we might call her his common law wife. I mean, I think he loved her. They were together nine years. Uh, they had a child together, uh, Augustine's child, would later be baptized uh, with him by Ambrose. Uh, so both of them came to faith. But I, I think in some ways, uh, Augustine felt kind of ashamed the way he treated this woman. Um, I think they were in love. Uh, I think they wanted to get married. Monica was very critical of it. In those days, you were to marry somebody of your social uh, caste, if you will. And uh, Monica wasn't happy that her son was living with this woman and that she wasn't of the same social uh, situation as, as, as Augustine was. And of course, she was very troubled that her son would engage in what Christians would call in the New Testament context fornication. Now, uh, Lewis, of course, um, interestingly enough, uh, by the time that he went to Oxford. Uh, World War I had already been well, in, was engaged in Europe, and uh, he, uh, Lewis, 
was was before he was drafted, he was going to be drafted. He decided to join the British Army, and he met a friend uh, in in the service, uh, and his name was Paddy Moore, and they were both Irishmen, and and Lewis liked that. He again he uh, he said at one point he didn't like the British accents. He thought they sounded kind of devilish. So he was a he was a British person, and and I think all of the talking animals in Narnia that all comes out of that remarkable uh, land of of Ireland, where the, the shrubbery, the everything is so green, and uh, animals were so uh, all around him as as he grew up as a young person. Well, uh, Lewis meets Patty Moore's mom. Uh, and uh, her name is Jane Moore, and you know she she's an older woman, uh, but uh, Lewis is attracted to her physically, and of course Lewis is thinking I'm going to go into World War One, and I'm probably not going to come back. And like lots of men in combat, they act, uh, you know, they want to get as much pleasure as they can get because they figure they're going to have a short life. So I got to go for the gusto. Some, uh, not all, but I think some, maybe even now most people think that C.S. Lewis had a sexual relationship with Jane Moore. And um, well, Patty Moore, of course, was killed. And uh, Lewis and Moore had, a, had an agreement. If one of them were killed, the other one would take care of their family. Uh, Patty Moore was killed in the war. Uh, Lewis had a number of friends killed. I think I think C.S. Lewis clearly suffered from today what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I think he probably suffered survival guilt. Uh, that was very common. Maybe that soldier, if you've if you've ever seen the movie Patton, where General Patton slaps that young GI in the hospital, um, you know. Uh, I don't think he should have slapped him because that soldier probably had post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, when you have all this trauma, I remember asking my dad as a young boy, I said, dad, what do you do when you run out of ammo? He'd say, well, we'd take out our bayonets and go at it. And I'm thinking, how do you, how do you forget that? How do you put that out of your memory where you're struggling uh, life to life in a combat situation. Well, um, Lewis, of course, partly honoring his pact with, uh, with his war buddy, took care of Jane Moore. Jane Moore had a, a daughter named Maureen, and uh, Jane and Maureen lived with C.S. Lewis uh, for, for probably 30 years. Uh, and at least in the beginning, it probably was a sexual relationship. Of course, I will tell you that once Augustine and Lewis become Christians, they are very devout. Uh, they are very moral individuals, uh, maybe extraordinarily so. In fact, uh, Walter Hooper, who was uh, near the end of Lewis's life, his secretary, Hooper said he thought that Lewis's faith was probably comparable to that of, of the apostles Peter and Paul. And I can tell you with St. Augustine, um, it's hard to imagine a someone more dedicated uh, to Christianity than, 
than St. Augustine. So while they have uh, this period of the, their life where they have sexual relationships and live with women they're not married to, um, all of that changes uh, upon their conversion. Uh, the Lord really works in them. And again, I, I think Augustine felt kind of ashamed of the way he treated that woman. Um, you know, uh, some people, of course, have criticized Augustine in that he uh, maybe had a low view of women. I'm not sure that that was ever the case after he became a Christian. But, you know, let me speak candidly here, if I might. Um, I, I think it's common for many men. In fact, it may be something that that inflicts all men. There is a tendency for men to to look at women as uh, sexual objects, to objectify them. I think this is part of the struggle that uh, our culture now has with uh, pornography, um, that, that there is a tendency among men to view women purely in sexual terms. And uh, that probably was the case with Augustine and C.S. Lewis. And that's very different than the idea that all people bear the image of God, have dignity and value, rather than uh, objectifying women, marriage in a Christian context, that this is a holy thing. This is a, a holy union between male and female, and uh, it is to be one of, of nurture and, and grace. Uh, but uh, Lewis and Augustine, they were real men. They were red-blooded men. Uh, they were sinful men. And in their early life, they, uh, you know, they pursued their, uh, their pleasures. Uh, but that's, that's one more thing they had in common, that both of them lived with women uh, for a long period in whom they were not married. Of course, Augustine was never married. He, not long after his conversion, the church talks him into becoming a priest, and then they almost force him to be a bishop. So he is unmarried, lives a celibate life. Lewis is a, a lifelong bachelor until his late 50s, where he meets um, uh, his wife, Joy Gresham, and they have a, a, a short marriage, but a very influential one, and it really changes uh, C.S. Lewis's life. So Joe and Dave, that's, that's number four. Any questions or comments before I introduce number five? They sure had feet of clay, huh? They did. And, you know, uh, if I could come back for a moment to that idea of, of finding a saint, as my priest advised me. Um, well, uh, I think we're all saints in a biblical sense. Um, I, I don't hold all of the views of the Catholic view that you go through a, uh, a period where you are, you are uh, you know, nominated to be a saint. Um, but I will tell you, I, I think in some sense, studying Augustine's life and seeing his weaknesses, seeing his proclivities, uh, also studying Lewis, I see his weaknesses, I see things that he said and did to, about his father, and I see myself. Uh, I see a, a brokenness, a fallenness, but I also see the grace of God. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, now some people would say, well, you don't want to follow any saint. Just, just follow Jesus. You're a Jesus follower after all. Well, I completely agree with that. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He's God in human flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity taking a human nature. But of course, uh, I struggle with things that Jesus Christ didn't. And uh, in some ways, I'm trying to learn from people who share my interest and also, uh, you know, have a mutual struggle. So in some respects, uh, all of my role models or all of my heroes, they have feet of clay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm reminded uh, of the Apostle Paul, who persecuted Christians. And uh, later he writes in one of his letters, be imitators of me. Uh, I mean, he if we look at his life after that and everything he went through, being shipwrecked, being uh, beaten, being imprisoned, uh, and all the, the wonderful insights he's given us in the New Testament, it's hard not to look at him and say, wow, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. But he had all that stuff, you know, that he went through at the beginning. I mean, I've even asked the question, could Saul of Tarsus, when he bumped into the Christian movement, was he a jihadist? Mm. Did he think, well, this is such a, this is contaminating the true religion of Israel that I need to stop this sect. And if it means imprisonment or even death, I'm willing to do it. I, I wonder, you know, St. Augustine was, uh, excuse me, uh, Paul was a, a real man. Uh, I wonder how much guilt he felt for that. I wonder yeah. if, I wonder if, you know, those things that, that uh, haunt him, uh, was it, was it, did he have an eyesight problem? Has, you know, some have said, was, was that what he was afflicted by? Or was it the guilt of knowing, uh, you know what, I, um, I not only led people to take the life of innocent people, but I, I actually killed or had killed some of God's sheep, some of God's children. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Yes. Maybe Paul will, maybe he'll tell us those stories when we get to, to heaven. He'll, he'll give us his version of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, let me go to number five. Uh, I think a fifth thing they both have in common is, uh, both of them are academic. Both of them are orators of the highest reputation. Uh, let me speak about them being scholars, first of all. Um, uh, Augustine starts a school in Carthage. He then moves to Rome, then to Milan. Uh, he is held in such high esteem as a thinker and a scholar that uh, some think he will end up working for Caesar himself. With uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis becomes a student at Oxford. Uh, then later in his scholarly life, uh, he teaches both at Oxford and at Cambridge. So both of them are, are very significant academic individuals. Um, but they, they also uh, are you know, remarkable communicators. Uh, I think, I think Augustine in his time was probably the most well-known Christian in the world. And, and think about it. 
I mean, you know, we there's a lot of great Christian thinkers. There are so many of them. You could spend the rest of your life reading the church fathers and you'd be rewarded from doing that. But I mean, you think about later people like Anselm or Aquinas, or you think about Protestant scholars like Luther, Calvin, Cramner. Um, you know, you think of modern day Christian thinkers um, who are extraordinary people as well. Um, but Augustine is probably the most influential Christian thinker that comes out of the West. Uh, now, let me talk about Lewis. Um, Lewis, of course, said after five years after his death, he told Walter Hooper, his secretary, five years after I'm dead, nobody will remember me. Uh, he was dead wrong about that. Now, part of that, I think, was helped by Hooper. Hooper, Hooper took control over his estate and the manuscripts and talk the publishers into publishing uh, things that Lewis had written uh, before he died. And Hooper got these publishers to bring books back into print. So much so that uh, I was reading one book about the book Mere Christianity. And uh, they said that even from the turn of the century at 2000, more than 3 million copies had sold. And I heard uh, Justin Brierley, who was co-hosting another Lewis podcast, say that he had heard that there are a half a billion copies of various Lewis books in print. Hmm. Um, I mean, Lewis has had, I would, I, I think you can make a clear case. Lewis was the most important apologist of the 20th century. So, so both of them were academics. Both of them uh, had an elite status as scholars. Both of them are, were very well known. And of course, uh, Lewis during World War II, he didn't serve in the military as he had in World War I. But in World War II, he became, he gave talks through the BBC and they were so successful that after the war, um, Churchill wanted to give uh, Lewis a medal. Uh, he thought that those talks had, had just been so inspiring uh, when the British were really under it, uh, you know, because of course in 1940, um, uh, London was being regularly bombed by the Nazis and uh, Lewis, Lewis's bold voice and his thoughtful tone it encouraged people. Uh, I, I'll tell you a story that I learned when I was in London a few years ago. I went to St. Paul's Cathedral, an, an Anglican church there in London, and that's the Queen's Church. That's where she goes to church. And during the war, uh, during the Blitz, so this is probably 1940, but uh, one of the Nazi planes dropped a bomb and it, and it landed on St. Paul's Cathedral, but it didn't detonate. Hmm. And um, that was viewed as the mir a miracle. And uh, the British began to think to themselves, we're going to win. So they saw that as a, as a turning point. By the way, the reason why Churchill became such a heroic figure is during the Blitz, he would walk into these, th this rubble that was, was the building before the bombing, and he'd pull people out. And uh, the British people began to rally around that. 
And uh, Lewis, of course, didn't accept the medal. He thought I was just doing my duty. Uh, but again, that would be number five, academics and orators of the highest reputation. Let me ask a question. Uh, we today note Lewis as being an amazing communicator in his writing. He's a stylist that is probably recognized, um, you know, in, in the whole community, not just the Christian community, as having a remarkable ability to communicate through his writings to the average person. Was Augustine in that category? I know he's this great uh, rhetoric, uh, having the ability to, to be an orator, but did that come across in his writings? It's a little hard to tell in that he wrote in, of course, Latin, not in English. And so it's, it's hard to evaluate that. Well, you're kind of stealing my thunder for the next show, but uh -oh. <laughs> the, answer is, the answer is yes. And I would say that, for example, uh, the Confessions is remarkably written. Um, uh, he, you know, here's the thing about both of these. And again, I'll come to both of these in, in our next program. But Dave, both Augustine and Lewis, they were great writers. They were great speakers. They, they had the gift of communication. And... Um, you know, probably Augustine is the greatest of the Latin writers. Uh, before that, Tertullian was quite a master of rhetoric. But yeah, uh, that'll be a part of the second six, but definitely an affirmative. But I think Augustine and Lewis uh, probably were felt a little self-conscious about how talented they were. Mm. how skilled they were. I mean, I mean, C.S. Lewis said that he thought he could remember everything he'd ever read. Uh, they used to play a game, Lewis and his students, he would uh, tutor students at Oxford. They'd come into his office there at uh, uh, Magdalen College, and he'd send them into his study. Uh, he couldn't see what book they were, uh, they had taken from his, his library, and they would read, read part of it to him, and then he would tell them what book it was from and explain the context to it. Um, I, I think both Augustine and Lewis were geniuses. I think they were, I also think they were amazingly gifted spiritually. But what I think is encouraging, of course, is that they were also deeply flawed. Uh, they had lots of struggles. They had dysfunctional families. They, you know, they treated women uh, the way a lot of men treat women as sexual objects. And they made a lot of the big mistakes in life. Um, St. Augustine's son, Adiotis, he died prematurely. And I, I wonder what Augustine thought, you know, after losing his son, um, you know, whether he had ever really acted responsibly enough. So, you know, when you engage in sin, of course, God can forgive your sins. That's the great thing about coming to know the Lord, that uh, Christ has come into the world, and through his sacrifice on the cross, our sins can be forgiven. But what needs to be factored in is uh, sometimes the implications of your past life, they never, they never go away. You can engage in behavior that is self-destructive, and it can affect so many different people.
that's why, of course, I say, you know, as as sinful as uh, homosexuality is, uh, heterosexuals, I think, may can do more damage because uh, they may have a whole family uh, of which they can be affected. So sexual sin is something that carries a heavy cost. And I, I think it affected uh, both Lewis uh, and Augustine. Well, number six, and so this is half of our list. They both had dramatic conversions. Of course, the greatest conversion in history in my mind is Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. I think that's the greatest conversion in history. Um, I think after you look at the most influential people and you look at people like uh, Jesus himself, uh, Muhammad, Confucius, Socrates, all these extraordinary people uh, who live such consequential lives, I think the Apostle Paul would be right up there. Um, I think he influenced not only uh, uh, Christianity, but I think he influenced all of Western civilization. Uh, but I will tell you that Augustine and Lewis had extraordinary conversions. Uh, both of them had great conversions. Uh, both of them returned to their faith. Now, of course, this is interesting. Did they, did, they, did they become Christians that they never were? Or did they return to a faith that maybe they were just initially exposed to? Um, you know, that's, that's, of course, an interesting thing. Um, let's talk a little bit about Augustine's conversion. He... He was, uh, you know, he'd been looking at for a lot of answers in a lot of different places, and uh, he didn't find the fulfillment in a, you know, a libertine lifestyle. That didn't fulfill him. And then he wanted to become a great rhetorician and maybe worked for Caesar, and that didn't, you know, his career path didn't work out. And then he pursued, you know, a kind of skepticism and kind of finding a dead end. I mean, you know, if I can be perfectly candid, uh, another thing that men are often prone to is to put their identity into their career. You know, I am what I do. Um, and then maybe near the end of your career or in retirement, you begin to think, wow, I've invested so much time and put so much of myself into this, uh, but does it give me the satisfaction that I really hoped it would? Now, don't get me wrong, I think work is very important. I think, we, I think we derive certain dignity from work. And I think work is very, very honorable. In fact, I think one of the strongest ways you can witness for people about your faith is having a robust work ethic. Because you can't fake it. Every company, every company, they know who works and who doesn't work. Um, and Augustine threw himself into his career. Lewis threw himself into his career. Uh, but both of them had setbacks. Um, but, you know, when you, you start to think about it, and here's where I think the convergence really comes, Augustine began to think, wow, I, all of the paths I've walked down, I don't find what I was looking for. You know, to, 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 to think about popular music, you know, uh, haven't, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I, I think of the Rolling Stones who sang the song, I can't get no satisfaction. Um, 
I wonder if they're not revealing more than what they know that, you know, to, to be a human being means we're made for God, but because of original sin, we've been cut off for God. So whatever we pursue, whether it's money or sex or power or prestige, none of that's going to ultimately fulfill you. And Augustine was really, he was desperate. I think that's the right word. He was restless. I think he was desperate. And uh, he bumps into this, uh, he's in Milan, and he bumps into a, a Catholic bishop uh, named Ambrose. By the way, Ambrose will go on to baptize St. Augustine. Ambrose and Augustine will be named doctors of the church. I mean, that's a very select company. Ambrose is considered one of the great uh, thinkers within Christendom, one of the doctors of the Catholic Church, along with his, his uh, friend and student, uh, Augustine. Well, he bumps into Ambrose. He's not interested in Ambrose because Ambrose is a Christian. He's interested initially because Ambrose is a great speaker. And Augustine wants to check him out, see if he's any good, see if he's as good as me. And so he goes to the church and he discovers that Ambrose is really first rate. He also uh, starts interacting with Ambrose and he can't checkmate him intellectually. And then he discovers that Ambrose is actually celibate. He doesn't uh, fool around. He's committed to a, a lifestyle of, as a priest, of committing himself to God and he's chaste. And that has a big influence. And then Augustine sees other people who he, who are intellectuals, who converted to Christianity. And he thought, wow, boy, if that guy could convert to Christianity, could happen to anybody, including me. And uh, Augustine reads uh, a writing of Athanasius, the great church father who rescued Christendom from the heresy of Arianism. Uh, Athanasius had written a book about St. Anthony and Augustine read it and he thought, wow. And then one day Augustine is studying the Bible. And of course, that's, that's where it always comes back to that book, the Bible. And Augustine's reading it and he has, he misunderstands it and he's not sure how to interpret it. Is it to be understood analogically? Is it to be understood, you know, in various ways, and, and uh, Ambrose kind of helps him with that. And then he is with his friend, and they hear, a, they hear a voice. And it's like a child's voice. It's a sing-song voice. And in Latin, it is um, tole lege, tole lege, take up and read, take up and read. And so Augustine's trying to figure out where, you know, is that Monica in the closet saying that? Or, you know, where, where is this coming from? And uh, he has a spiritual experience. Uh, and so he opens up the, the book of Romans, another thing you don't want to do. Uh, that's a dangerous book. Careful reading the book of Romans. Uh, and he goes to Romans 13, where it says, you know, uh, give up the, uh, the, the uh, lifestyle of, of uh, you know, being committed to the flesh and uh, follow the Lord. And now I'm not, I'm not recommending Augustine's kind of open the Bible and point to a verse, and that's the verse God has for you, but it worked. And uh, Augustine and his friend, they committed themselves to Christ. They were baptized on Easter Sunday 
uh, by Ambrose. Uh, and uh, of course, the person that probably was more overjoyed was Monica. Her boy had come back to the faith. And uh, you can read about that in Augustine's Confessions. Now, how about Lewis? Well, uh, Lewis is a long ways away from the faith. I mean, he, he's wandered off, uh, but um, he's also had some of that same experience. He, he realizes there's something missing, that he has a desire for fulfillment that nothing in this world can truly satisfy. And um, he, when he goes back to Oxford and begins teaching, he bumps into uh, Christian faculty there at Oxford, um, uh, a man named Dyson, another man you might remember, a man named Tolkien. And they develop a friendship. And, and Lewis has lots of misperceptions about Christianity. And Dyson and Tolkien, they, they have... Uh, you know, they have debates, they have discussions. And um, Lewis is very similar to Augustine. He finally, he says that when he became a Christian, he was the most reluctant convert in all of England. Uh, and of course, you can see this in that recent movie that was uh, done, uh, The Most Reluctant Convert. Uh, I think that's an amazing thing to walk into a theater and uh, a movie is dedicated to an extraordinary Christian. Uh, I think that's such a blessing for people to, to see something like that. But uh, Lewis becomes a Christian. And uh, so those are, those are six things. If I could just enumerate them one last time for you. Uh, one, they're born in declining empires. Two, both of them have influential mothers and distant fathers. Three, um, they both renounced the faith in their youth. Four, they lived with women outside of marriage. And then five, they're academics and orators of the highest reputation. And six, they both have extraordinary conversions. Um, but I, I think I would say this, uh, you know, in some ways, people are individuals. They're very different in many respects. But when it comes to Christianity, I think there are things that all of us share in common. But I still think that's extraordinary that they had those six parallels in their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very encouraging for people who tend to look in the mirror and say, wow, am I ever going to get to where I need to be? Well, uh, you may not ever be a, a C.S. Lewis or an Augustine, but you can be who God uh, created you to be. And we can look to mentors who have had uh, things in their past that they're not proud of, and yet we can see where God has taken them by his grace. It's all a testament to God's grace. I'm sure most of right. authors would say that. That's right. You know, the thing that uh, struck me, too, was, uh, you know, I have a friend who says, uh, who's an unbeliever and would say, if God gives me the kind of experience that the Apostle Paul had there on the road to Damascus, then maybe I'll become a Christian. But uh, if, if we are willing to read the stories of others who, uh, who had dramatic conversions, but not in the same category as the Apostle Paul, then maybe that would have a kind of influence on that person if they're willing to look at it. You know, one thing I, I want to add to the conversion element is that in both Augustine and in Lewis, 
there are two things that play a very significant role. One of them is people. Uh, Ambrose is the key person in Augustine's life. Uh, Tolkien and, and other members of the Inklings, I mentioned Dyson. So there's a personal component, but I also wanna note that in both of their conversions, books played very significant roles. Um, Augustine read uh, the book by St. Anthony. He read Plotinus's Enneads. These books played a significant role in Augustine moving toward Christianity. For Lewis, it was George MacDonald. It was G.K. Chesterton. Uh, these were, you know, fantastic, the everlasting man. I, I think that we should, we should give careful consideration that when we're talking to people about the faith who are kind of your uh, cerebral types, your intellectual types, not everybody is, you know, not, not everybody is a bookish type of individual. People come from different walks of life. But I think for people who are very cerebral, who are very academic, oftentimes getting in their hands a book that can challenge them can make a difference. So those are six. Now, Joe and Dave, in the next show, I'll give you six more. Terrific. Okay, looking forward, look forward to, that. to that. What's that? I look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Okay, uh, Ken, thank you for uh, bringing this to our attention. As I said, I'm sure people are listening and uh, thinking, uh, I can be a mentor as well. They might think of themselves as, you know, not that great, <laughs> but uh, hearing examples like this, again, not aspiring to be like a Lewis or an Augustine, but the mentor that they can be to people around them. Maybe it's family members, uh, children, grandchildren, and so on. So be encouraged and uh, thanks for your, insights uh, and we'll look forward to seven more let us know your comments and questions you can reach ken via his twitter handle at rtb underscore k samples in fact a couple of comments have come in since you mentioned uh c.s lewis there here's one that uh, uh compliments you on your book it says ken just finished your book classic christian thinkers it's great i'd never heard of some of these people the depth of the Christian tradition is amazing. I'm really glad you included Lewis. He was so important to me as a young Christian, Tom Warner. And here's another uh, comment. Ken, Classic Christian Thinkers is a wonderful book. One I've recommended to many, Chris Helton. So there you have it. Uh, somebody, somebody talking about uh, Lewis right there in your book. So thank you for those. Keep them coming. And uh, we'll look forward to the next uh, six on the next podcast. Don't miss any podcasts. Subscribe to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, and you'll get an episode delivered to you each week. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Straight Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.